for the preaching this afternoon is God's word as it is taught and summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 11. In Lord's Day 11, we have two questions and answers. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus, for one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. So far, the catechism. The theme for the preaching this afternoon is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And after the preaching, we will sing as our response Psalm 68, stanza 8. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the message of Lord's Day 11, summarizing the teaching of Scripture, is pretty much as clear and as simple as it gets. It can be told in a single sentence, Jesus is the only and the complete Savior. Maybe you wonder why you need to hear that again another sermon on Lord's Day 11. We've been hearing this message about the Lord Jesus ever since we can remember. Probably you should get this by now. The heart of the gospel does not get any simpler than this. But indeed, we do need to hear this message again. We need to have it emphasized over and over for us. Jesus is the only and the complete Savior. The reason we need this is because of our hearts. The human heart has conditioned as a result of sin to resist in particular this message, the heart of the gospel. As an example of what I mean, consider the experience of an accomplished preacher down in the United States who was on one occasion asked to say a prayer before a major sporting event somewhere down there. They told him he could pray in the name of any person, God, or being that he wanted, except for one name, the name Jesus. He could pray to the Great Spirit if he wanted. He could pray to the Father. He could pray to Allah. He could pray to whoever, but not to Jesus. The name of Jesus could not be mentioned. And he asked why, of course, and was told too many people get offended by the name Jesus. Well, why? Why do people get offended by the name Jesus? The answer is that he offers salvation to people who cannot save themselves. He rescues people who can't lift a finger for their own salvation. All other religions, every other philosophy, culture, system of thought or belief offers a message of self-help. In other words, if you do this, if you do that, these regulations, if you jump through those hoops, if you follow that person the right way, you will, you will save yourself. 
earn a reward for yourself. And that sounds much better, because then we're not such bad people. We are much happier with that kind of a doctrine. We can help ourselves, we really aren't so bad after all. We can pat ourselves on the back afterwards. Then we deserve to be saved. And we're better than all those other people who aren't saved. It's their own fault that they didn't get saved. But we can congratulate ourselves. We deserve to be saved. But our Savior doesn't speak of that kind of treatment. Where the worthy cannot say, there are no worthy people here. No worthy person here this afternoon. The only way we enter the kingdom is by grace. Grace alone by faith is this Savior whose name is proclaimed in Lord's Day 11. Faithfully summarizing the message of Scripture, Lord's Day 11 has excluded the possibility of any other Savior besides Jesus. It even denies the possibility of us cooperating in our own salvation with the Lord. There is no Jesus for, there is no Jesus and, there is only Jesus. He is the only one who can help us, he is the only one that we need. Now that message, of course, is proclaimed in Lord's Prayer. That is the message of the Scriptures. It's also proclaimed in His name. This is where the Catechism focuses, of course, the Catechism, which is Lord's Day 11, working its way article by article through the Apostles' Creed, and we've come to the part where we confess at the Creed this afternoon, I believe in Jesus, Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. When Joseph and Mary learned that Mary was expecting a son through the miraculous intervention of the Spirit, they were told that the child's name would be Jesus. Now, Jesus was not a unique name. There were other boy children (coughs) known to have that name. But in the case of this child, the name would have special significance because in the case of this child, the name would describe who he was. He really would be what his name means. The name Jesus sounds like for the Greek, uh, sounds like the Greek word for he saves. And that name was then often used as a Greek equivalent to the Hebrew Joshua, which means the Lord will save. It's a beautiful name. The Lord will save. And parents might give that name to their children as a confession. We believe the Lord will save. But in Jesus' case, it was not a confession about something that God would do sometime in the future. But it was a confession about Jesus Christ. He is the Lord who saves. The angel Gabriel told Joseph and Mary that their son was actually God's own son. And God's own son would save God's people from their sins. Jesus would be his name, Savior. That's what Jesus taught his disciples during his ministry on earth, during his preaching and teaching. He taught them really the meaning of his name. He refused to be limited to the narrow focus of saving Israel politically. He insisted that he had come to die on a cross to save the world from their sins, all those who believe in him. Eventually, the disciples got it. They had their eyes open to this beautiful truth and realized, yes, Jesus is what his name declares. He is the Lord who saves. And after he had ascended and Peter was arrested, he said, there is only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord who saves. 
they carried that message once they understood Jesus. The message that reaches from Jerusalem all the way to Rome by the end of the book of Acts. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they founded a Christian church that spans the globe, as we heard this morning. But from the beginning, the message that the apostles brought as they planted churches, the message that reached, and still remains the message, the proclamation, the preaching of faithful churches today. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about this. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. He gets right to the heart of the message. Jesus, the Savior, was the heart of Paul's message. And the whole point of his preaching, people needed to know Jesus, the Savior. So Paul proclaimed only Jesus, the Savior, and proclaimed him as a complete Savior. In another place in Corinthians, he said, we are Christ's ambassadors. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And just in case people might misunderstand Paul, just in case they might slip into a gospel of Jesus and something or someone else, just in case they would try to add him to their whole pantheon of Greek and Roman gods, one more savior among many others, Paul told the Galatians that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be completely condemned. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. For the Apostle Paul, there was only one gospel, and the one that he first proclaimed. And if anyone added to that gospel and called down upon that person terrible condemnation. But Paul isn't just being cranky. Paul understood this was a vehicle to proclaim the basic truths that the scripture teaches us. Basic truths like there is only one God and he's a holy God. The source of all of our blessing but a God also who hates sin and will punish sinners. The basic truth is that we are sinners. Through our own fault we have become estranged from God and cut ourselves off from him the source of all blessing. We can't do anything ourselves to correct that either because we're totally corrupted by our fault. But God is gracious and provided us with a solution to this problem in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is true man, righteous man, and true God. He's the only person who can fix the problem of our sin, remove our corruption, and make us acceptable to God again and reconcile us to the source of all blessing. If we understand these things as the Apostle Paul did, then we understand why the Bible teaches of Jesus the way it does. Our main problem is not ill health, it's not lack of friends, it's not poverty, or whatever else we might think our problem is, is our problem is sin. And the solution to our problem is not better health, more friends, more money, or anything else other than Jesus taking away our sin. I have on my shelf in my study at home a book about this. The book whose title I, I borrowed as the theme for this sermon, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. How can you not pick up a book with a title like that? 
this book was written by a preacher as a result of his own experience learning about the message that we are taught in Lord's Day 11. It was a preacher who felt insecure at times in his work to preach religion in the public eye. He does his work on the pulpit where everyone can hear and respond. Sometimes people respond critically. This preacher who wrote this book found himself falling into a pattern where his confidence and his security and his well-being were determined by the people around him. He was dependent on the opinions of others. They were pleased with him, that he felt good. He was secure. He had well-being, the word the catechism uses, but it, if they did not respond well to his work, then down in the dumps he went. And he realized that he needed to get back to the truth of the scripture as we have it summarized in Lord's Day 11, which is, in his words, in the title of his book, Jesus Costs Nothing, He's Equal to Everything. And one of the key passages for that particular author in rediscovering for his own life statement and sufficiency of Jesus Christ was in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, a passage where the Apostle Paul becomes so overwhelmed by the sheer greatness and immensity and completeness of God's grace in Christ that in Greek, the original Greek, he goes on and on and on and on in one long sentence that covers all those verses. 14 in the English and the translations we've broken it up so that when we read it we don't run out of breath but the Apostle Paul just kept on going overwhelmed by God's grace in Christ which is the key term in that whole passage in Christ, in Christ this, in Christ that in Christ he says we have every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing we have all that we need in Jesus Christ. And that's what he says in verse 3. And then goes on in the rest of that long sentence at the end of verse 14. Goes on to say what, what that means. He unpacks that phrase, every spiritual blessing. He says we've been chosen in him. We've been graced in him. We've been given gracious gifts. We've been redeemed in him. We've been reconciled in him. Destined and sealed forever in him. Everything we need, everything we long for, we already possess if we are in Jesus Christ by faith. The word that the catechism uses is the word well-being. That expresses the comprehensiveness of Christ's saving impact on our life. Whatever we need, whatever we long for, either because we're created by God to have that longing or because we find ourselves living in brokenness and sin. Christ is the answer. He fills our hearts. So Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 2 verse 10 that we have been given fullness in Christ. He filled that big empty hole inside us. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That preacher that I was speaking of, whose book I enjoyed so much, found in Ephesians 1 became a reminder of the basic gospel. That our happiness, that our well-being, that our confidence, our security, that our inner peace doesn't depend on others, but it depends only on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a timely reminder, not just for other preachers like myself, but for all of us. Since we all have this tendency to find escape 
salvation and rescue from the pain and drudgery of life, our well-being can be things, can be stuff, can be good things, can be good stuff, can be something good like our family, that we take pleasure and joy from that. It could be also something not good, it could be an addiction. But we we experience our well-being in those things. But nothing can or should replace or stand beside Jesus as the source of our well-being, our peace, and confidence. So the concept of Jesus plus nothing equals everything is quite literal in those simple maths equations. But the truth is that we will spend our whole lives really learning how to live in the depths and significance of that simple truth. We struggle with this. We struggle with the plus nothing part of it. Like the preacher who coined this phrase, from whom I borrowed it, in practice we struggle to live up to what the Bible teaches us to think best. One example that struck me as I was preparing this sermon happened to come across this somewhere. The increasing dependence of people on their smart devices, cell phones, etc. Maybe you think that's a small example, but listen to some of these statistics. Cell phones and smart devices are an important ticket to a better life in our society. You have to have one. They help you stay informed about things. They help you stay connected with everybody. And of of course, in, in one sense, nothing wrong with that. I own a smart device. But I have a problem when I read that teachers in classrooms are finding it harder and harder to disconnect students from their devices long enough to teach them something. And I'm reading psychologists who announce that cell phone separation anxiety is a real and increasing phenomenon. Not something that we make up, but something real, especially among young people who are forced to even leave their phone in their locker for one hour so they can get symptoms of anxiety. I said I have a problem with that, but more importantly, what truth asks us about something like that? Is that an indication that our welfare maybe depends on these created things? Are we starting to teach our Christian young people an adaptation style of approach so that we say, Jesus plus this device, and then I'm fine. Then I'm okay. It won't be long before he adds two more things, and Jesus becomes less and less part of that equation. That's a recent example I happen to notice. But of course, there are some other time-worn examples, how much of our security, self-esteem, well-being, enjoyment of life depends on how we feel about our appearance, or how much of it depends on the, on the career and the income that we have. If each of us examined our life honestly, would we find that it tells the story of Jesus plus nothing equals everything? I think it's an especially important question considering how affluent how many blessings we have in our life. There was one person who could answer yes. Jesus, or in his case, because it was an Old Testament example, God plus nothing equals everything. Satan was convinced that Job, that Job's faith in God was based on his material blessings, that Job had inserted material blessings into the equation, that it was God plus material blessings equals everything. So God challenged Satan take away all of Job's stuff, even his family. 
he was confident in leading them. Of course, we know how it worked out. Deprived of everything, forsaken even by his wife, returning to serve God, criticized by his friends, Job refused to let go of his faith in God. Should we do the same? Do we have our roots that deep in the soil of the promises of God in Jesus Christ? Do we sometimes perhaps resemble more the plant that is deep in the shallow soil? The one that Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, where it's as soon as that plant is deprived of, of all the good stuff, it, it withers and shrivels up. I hope that we are all able to answer that for us, Jesus is the plus that can make the difference. But we should be aware that we live in a society that tells us constantly that we need to add something else. We're constantly being sold a different savior, or at least an additional one. In this North American society of consumerism and worldly materialism, we're repeatedly hearing the gospel of stuff that you need material goods to be happy advertised as Jesus Christ all the time. They parade a list of goods in front of us on television and other media, always the implication is we can't be happy without it. We will be more happy with it. The message is that material goods are the mediators to the well-being of candidates, puts it better. So fruits that our society has bought into this gospel, look at the millions of people who are becoming slaves to death, working themselves into the ground in order to afford this good life that's being promoted and sold. One of the symptoms of this, one of the symptoms that has affected churches in North America, and I use that term very broadly, is that Christians are not able to give away their stuff. The average North American Christian gives $200 a year for a sense of charity. 25% of American Protestants give nothing to charity year by year. I think a sign that many, many Christians have their well-being dependent too much on the material things because they're not able to embrace the generous and self or uh, sacrificial lifestyle that Christ modeled, nor are they able to trust God and obey Him and give their tithes to church. There is definitely the symptom of the gospel of Jesus and something else. Something else is being put further into the equation. And if it isn't material possessions, it could be something else. It might be your image. It might be your friends that your well-being depends on. Your family, your appearance, your health. It might be sports. And I was preparing this sermon in the spring with unfortunate Maple Leafs that just been knocked out of the playoffs by the Boston Bruins in Game 7. And I happened to be at the coffee shop the next day and an old man table next to me were loudly lamenting the poor Maple Leafs and their fate and their epic collapse at the end of the game as he allowed the Bruins to win. And it really struck me because their manner of speaking showed that they were very upset that quite a bit of their well-being, at least that day, depended on the success of their sports team. And the huge riots in Vancouver in 2011 show that it was more than just this group of old men. It was important to have this problem. In fact, there's been studies that show that the productivity of a whole city drops after a team from that city loses a sports championship. 
there's something else that's going on. But my greatest and highest joy, and your greatest and highest joy, is to be loved by Christ during his life. My joy and well-being can be found only in Jesus, and if I truly rely on him, then nothing can take away my joy. Then I found the secret that Paul speaks about in Philippians 4. If I lose material goods, I still have you. If I lose my health, I still lose Christ. Whatever I don't have, he already has me, and I belong to him. But maybe this afternoon you're sitting there and thinking, well, I don't have any material, uh, problem with material goods. I don't have anxiety if I lose my cell phone at home. I'm not really that concerned about my image. I'm, I'm not a sports fan. But maybe that's the problem. Maybe you're congratulating yourself. Maybe you've added yourself into the equation here. And this is a catechism warning here. When it comes to salvation, we feel tempted to make the equation into Jesus plus me equals everything. My personal efforts. That's what characterizes all human religion. False Christian doctrine. In Islam, it's Allah plus me faithfully keeping the five pillars of Islam. In Buddhism, it's Buddha plus my strenuous spiritual exercises and meditation. In Armenian Christianity, it is Jesus plus my faith and good works. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I cannot earn my salvation. I cannot obtain God's grace. I cannot bring blessings to my own life. It's always amazing how much of our security and well-being depends on the feeling that we have about ourselves, that we are good people. The other part of this equation that we need to emphasize and reaffirm this afternoon is the equals everything part. The reason that we add other things to the equation is that we don't trust Jesus to give us everything that he teaches us to need in this life. That we don't trust him to be the source of joy for our entire life. What I mean is that we think of Jesus too often as the one who forgives guilt. We compartmentalize him into a part of our life that we call religion or church or faith. That's where he saves us. But then we, at least subconsciously, maybe we don't voice it this way, but deep down, we don't act and live and think as the one that of Jesus as the one who can who can bring joy into our whole life. So he can't do anything about my anxiety. He can't do anything about my ill health. He can't do anything about my marriage problems or my financial difficulties. You fill in the blank however you like. But then, oh, how he underestimates since sin the reach of our spiritual guilt and shame that we deal with. Why do you think there is anxiety, ill health, poverty, broken, etc. in our lives? Sin is the root. Sin is the cause. Sin estranges us from God, the source of all blessing that rains upon us with the curse of the dead sin. Jesus is this blessing. In all parts of our life, only Jesus can promise that both now and eternally he will satisfy you with God's blessings in all that you need. Only 
Jesus can promise that he will save you not only from sin, but also from all the consequences and effects of sin. Only Jesus can love you like others don't. Only Jesus can assure you that all things will work out for your good, Ephesians actually more twenty one. Only Jesus can tell you that a new creation is coming. Only Jesus can give you joy in the midst of suffering. You need to believe that Jesus trusts nothing and is everything, everything. And if Jesus gives us everything, if Jesus is our wholeness with no other holes that need to be filled with something else, then what do you need of any other Savior? Then no one and nothing else can add to the joy that you have in this Savior who gives you everything in him. message of Lord's Day 11. We can boil it down to three points, and these are the three points that I allude to the Church of Garden of Eden had. The first one is that no person, no thing other than Jesus can contribute in any way to making you reconciled to God. That's what Peter mentions in the passage I alluded to earlier where he says that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's Acts 4, verse 12. The second point is that our blessing is ultimately found in Jesus. Through Jesus, we have the promise of eternal destiny. Even if we go through hard times in the present, we have the promise of eternal destiny. And without Jesus, no good thing that we have, even if it's created by God or something otherwise good, no good thing that we have will ultimately satisfy or fulfill. So the challenge of my life second point then is to enjoy what I have without depending on it for my well-being. If I would lose it, I wouldn't crash. I would still be able to enjoy And that ties in with my third point. If my well-being depends on anything besides or instead of Jesus, then I'm not trusting him to be my true Savior. And there's a test for this. The test is whether or not I can imagine that thing being taken out of my life whatever that false savior is, if it's gone out of my life, can I survive? If I trust in something besides Jesus for my ultimate fulfillment, I'll be disappointed. And that's why I and so many others can suffer from anxiety or disappointment or frustration or anger or sorrow. We were leaning on the wrong thing. These are the points I want you to consider for yourself. Remind yourself that no one other than Jesus can fix the problem that underlies all other problems. Remember that Jesus has taken away that problem and is therefore alone and unaided the source of all of our joy and well-being. Devote yourself eagerly to his service in the sure confidence that in him, Jesus one, you have every spiritual blessing and the promise of eternal life. And proclaim that message. Proclaim it boldly. Everyone needs to hear it even if they don't want to. Jesus is the only and complete Savior. There's no Jesus and, there's no Jesus or, there is only Jesus. And that's exactly what we need. It's enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen.